this week, we don't even need an intro because it's a momentous day. Today is April 13th that this is coming out, which is the one-year anniversary of movie surfing a Disney Channel on Original Podcast. Yay! <laughs> so whether this is the first episode you're listening to or you've been with us this whole time, I just want to say thanks for listening. I kind of can't believe it's been a whole year, but it's definitely been a good time. Um, a lot of thanks to those of you who have been sticking around since the beginning. We're glad that you enjoy listening to us. We enjoy making the show. I'm sorry that we never got around to writing our gritty remake of Smart House. We, there is still time, Delaney. We are young ish <laughs> we're young ish we're not getting younger but we are young <laughs> but yeah it's been a it's been a great year of decoms and here's to many more or at least one more decom because we we have something to talk about this week all we could promise is this moment right now yes all we have is today so let's watch a disney channel movie I'm Delania Matrudo. And I'm Ben Bott. And this is Movie Surfing, a Disney Channel unoriginal podcast. So, we said we were picking between a couple of options. They've clicked on it. They've seen the title. They know what it is. It is Descendants 2 from 2017. Not that long ago. The timeline is messed up. Like, I thought these movies came out way earlier, but we were graduating college in 2017. <laughs> a, a relatively recent film. And there's a third one that must have come out extremely recently. I had seen this movie before watching it for recording this show because I watched it after we watched the first one because I was so into the first one. Oh, I didn't that know I that just... you had watched the second one. Interesting. I, because I had sort of wanted to double feature it last time and then I didn't because I was like, well, I don't want to have to go back and watch it again later and take notes on it or whatever. So this was my first time seeing it. I am surprised. Oh my God, it. wait a second. So I've seen it more, th I've seen this film more times than you have. Yeah, I never seen any of the Descendants movies. Did you have any background for this one going into it? What did you think when you saw the thumbnail with Uma there and Captain Hook's kid and the other guy? Wow, the tables have turned. I get to do the thing where I get to I like, know, you get my... to do the thing. I don't know. You know, when I saw the pirates in the thumbnail, I was not thinking it was going to be an Ursula thing at all or like a Captain Hook thing for some reason. My brain immediately went to Pirates of the Caribbean. Honestly, it looked looks like Pirates of the Caribbean. It's almost like they got some leftover props and stuff from the Pirates did. of the Caribbean franchise. I was thinking about that other movie we watched, which maybe was under wraps, where they like recycle the costume from Hocus Pocus. <laughs> I was thinking maybe they did that some in this movie. It feels like that's possible. My brain possible. was fully in Pirates of the Caribbean and not at all in like any of the, the Disney uh, fairy tale pirates. Tell the people what the movie's actually about. Yeah, we can orient ourselves with our time-honored tradition of reading the Disney Plus description of the film, Descendants 2. Mal returns to her rotten roots on the Isle of the Lost, where Ursula's daughter Uma has proclaimed herself queen of the rundown town. Uma, still resentful over not being selected to go to Aradon, directs her pirate gang to break the barrier between the Isle of the Lost and Aradon, unleashing all the villains imprisoned on the Isle once and for all. 
that's kind of not what that's happens. That's not what happens at all, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> Did they even watch the movie before they wrote that? What are they talking about? Is it bad if I say that, like, a tiny part of me wants to see that version, though? I Like, I want to see the villains... Unleashed? Unleashed, yeah. We don't get much villains at all in this. We get Uma and, and her friends, her pirate gang, but I don't know about unleashing all the villains imprisoned on the aisle once and for all. Partially because, notably absent from this film, is Kristen Chenoweth Maleficent or any of the other villain parents. Yeah, I know. I mean, we can talk about this more later because I wrote about it at the end a little bit, but, like, I kept waiting for them to show up and then they never showed up. This movie was really exclusively, like, kid villains. The movie picks up in a sort of suspended reality. It's a little bit unclear what the heck is going on at the beginning. The core Descendants cast, that's Jay, Carlos, Evie, and Mal, are all around, like, a witch's cauldron doing a spell or something? It appears that they're casting a spell and, like, poisoning apples, and I think Mal says something like, let's show Oridon how evil we can be, blah blah. And so then we get, like, a opening number in which the villain kids are distributing these enchanted apples throughout the school and that seems to be encouraging the kids to be bad. Yeah, it's just this intro number. They're like going around saying there's so many ways to be wicked. They all look different. Like they're clearly older. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of, it's a little bit jarring because when we left off, the kids were kind of over their evil, whatever. Now we're jumping back into the second movie and they're wreaking havoc on the school and we don't really know what's happening or why they're doing it. The song ends and they zoom in on Mal's eyeball. Uh, maybe the entire sequence was like a daydream? How, what was your interpretation of this? Because <laughs> yeah. we cut to, they like zoom in on Mal's eyeball and zoom out and she's standing there basically receiving questions from a paparazzi. She's like a princess now. She has blonde hair, etc., etc. But so was that intro song a fantasy? Yeah, that's How what I called you... it in my notes. She was clearly fantasizing about her evil ways as she was sort of backed into a corner having to be a nice princess talking to the paparazzi. That's the basic timbre of things right now. She has been totally Auradonified. Like I said, she's got blonde hair and a princess dress and she's getting ready for cotillion she's going to officially be a lady of ben's court she's clearly overwhelmed by it yeah i mean i imagine there's a lot of pressure being whatever 16 years old and dating the king yeah who's also 16 years old for some reason also i I have some questions about the use of the word cotillion in this movie. My understanding of cotillion is very specific and not at all what they're doing here. I don't know much about cotillion. It has to do with, like, southern debutantes, right? I remember when I was in middle school, I knew people, like, I had friends who were going to cotillion, where, like, you have to go to these classes learning about proper manners and things, and then in the end, there's a big ball where you dance with boys and are sort of presented debutante style but it's like the culmination of all of your like training on how to be polite but 
this just seems to be a ball that they're talking about. There aren't any, like, manners classes involved in this movie. But basically, Ben Ben comes and kind of saves Mal from the paparazzi with the help of the fairy godmother. And they have a little feelings meeting about how busy they've been getting ready for Cotillion and stuff and how they need to get away. That's cut short because Ben has to go to a council meeting because he's the king, remember? And Mal has to go to get her dress fitted because Evie shows up, the evil queen's daughter from the first movie. She's like, Mal, I got your dress ready. We got to go do your fitting because I guess she's designing the dress. Yeah, because in the first movie, we learned that she wanted to be a fashion designer and she was designing Mal's dresses. So that's her thing. And it's especially her thing now in this movie. Also, we love a king who hasn't even graduated high school yet. Yeah, we love a We love a high school king. <laughs> <laughs> they go back to the dorm room. They still have Mom Leficent the lizard in a cage. I can't deal with this. It's <laughs> literally she's just hanging out in a tank and there's a sign that says, please don't feed my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Mal is just not doing well with all of the changes that are taking place and having to conform to the court and all of this. She she asks Evie, what do you think it would be like if we didn't leave the aisle? And it's clear that she has some nostalgia for it, although Evie is like all about the Oridon life. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of in a weird way we find ourselves back where we started. You know, in the last movie, there was so much of Mal's internal struggle about the Isle versus Oridon, good versus evil, and it kind of seemed like that was more or less sorted out, and now we're sort of back to that same, like, don't you want to be evil thing. Yeah, and it almost is like a flip-flop, right? It goes from, no, wait, I want to be good, to, oh, wait, this sucks. (laughs) I mean, I get it. It must be overwhelming to not just have to be nice, but have to be extra nice. Now you're in, like, the royal family, kind of. Right, well, because we see all this news coverage and stuff, too, of, like, they're having dinner with Princess Jasmine, and it's all, she spills curry on herself, and it's embarrassing. But, like, yeah, we see all of this news coverage. The paparazzi are hounding her and following her every move and stuff. She's real stressed out about it. Also, she's been using magic from her spell book to keep up with all of this stuff and Evie is like hey uh do you really think you should still be using that don't you think we should put that in the museum but Mal is not interested in that I'd be doing the same thing if I was her like trying to do school and like impress the king boyfriend and the king boyfriend's parents and having to keep up with the paparazzi and having to learn how to be polite in fairy tale society you would have no choice if I had a spell book I'd be using it come on (laughs) even if I had nothing going on and I had a spell book I'd be using it. So all of those struggles are set up. Evie basically tells Mal like hey you know we're Aradon girls now and this is our life. Come on let's you know make the best of it. Yeah it seems that Evie has gone 110% good. She really has no interest in going back to the island. We go to school and we catch up with the other descendants. Jay and Carlos are kind of bantering about Cotillion as well because they need dates. Carlos clearly wants to ask Jane, fairy godmother's daughter, but is real nervous about asking her to Cotillion, so there's his subplot. It's all set up. (laughs) I thought for sure that Carlos was coded as being gay, but it's fine. 
we aren't there yet in in the Disney universe. Yeah, in 2017. Yeah, because Jane shows up. He tries sort of to ask her out. It doesn't go well. Jane has arrived to talk to Mal about decorations for Cotillion. She's on the planning committee also because her mom is in charge of it. So she's been roped into all of the preparations. So she's running around with a clipboard asking all these questions about decorations and stuff. Yeah, and Mal ends up getting overwhelmed and her eyes kind of flash green like they did. Yeah, in the she first gets movie. so upset her eyes turn green. I was like I was like, what is this about? But she's able to sort of like put a lid on it and like answers the questions and then goes on about her business, but you can tell that she's starting to lose it a little bit. Yeah, well they also say some stuff that freaks her out when they say, like, well, you know, Cotillion is like getting engaged to get engaged, so you and Ben are gonna get married for sure. Right, and she's like, Wait a second, what? Getting married? Yeah. Like, my entire life is flashing before my eyes, <laughs> my, my, my green eyes. Yeah, so she's stressed out and goes off, but Ben and Jane have a little aside because Ben has been working on a piece of art, basically, to present to Mal as a gift. But Ben is like, make sure that her eyes are green in the stained glass. He's gifting her a portrait of the two of them, essentially, in the same style as the portrait of his parents from the Beauty and the Beast movie. I guess Jane has a secret talent, and that is she makes stained glass windows? Yeah, it's unclear because later in the movie they say, like, Ben made it, so <laughs> I don't know. Then Jane, like, they're talking about making the eyes the right color of green, and Jane, like, happens to have a couple different shades of green glass right? on her. <laughs> right? So she gets <laughs> approval for the right shade of green. That's We're off it. to the races, I don't know. Yeah, we, we cut to Chad, the sports friend of Ben's. He's Prince Charming and Cinderella's son or something, I don't remember. Yeah, but he's Chad Charming. Yeah, He's a bumbling idiot. He's getting a fitting from Evie and Doug, Dopey's son, who is like Evie's romantic interest. They're like making a cape for him because he's really obsessed about being king. He's also dealing with a breakup. He and Audrey, who was Ben's girlfriend in the last movie, but then became his girlfriend and now I guess broke up with him. Doesn't matter. She doesn't appear in the movie. <laughs> He leaves, and we get a little bit of exposition from Evie and Doug uh, along the lines of Evie is designing all of these dresses for people so she can make money to buy a castle and not need a prince. Right, because her whole thing in movie one was she was trying to land a prince. And now she's trying to be her own prince. Yeah, and Doug is like, now you won't, you're making so much money, you won't need a prince. And Evie's like, I don't need a prince anyway, because I have you. Aww. They're an extremely unlikely couple, but I'm, I'm not mad about it. I love it. Ben shows up at Mal's locker now. Yeah, now we're in the hallway. He basically, the big thing here is that he realizes she still has her spell book with her. And he's like, weren't you going to give that to Fairy Godmother? Shouldn't we put that someplace safe? Like, they have a brief exchange about that, but there's no time to worry about it because Ben has to take Mal down the hallway slightly farther where he has parked a moped in the middle of the hallway uh, <laughs> to give to her as a gift. Right, he's like, I have a surprise for you. And she's like, again? Apparently he's been surprising <laughs> her a lot. And this time the surprise is a purple Vespa. She's looking at this Vespa. She's all excited about it. Diffuses any of the like weird spellbook stuff. She's like, I just wish that I could give you something. Like, I, I haven't given you anything this cool. He's like, oh, don't worry about it. I'm so excited for that picnic you're going to give me with all my favorite foods. And she's like, yeah, on Thursday. And he's like, that's today. And she's like, no, it's not. <laughs> he's like, no, it's definitely Thursday. And... And 
she plays it off like she was kidding, but it's one more thing for her to have to worry about. She now has to prep this whole fancy picnic with all of his favorite foods. Yeah, and figure the cotillion stuff out, and it's just all very stressful and a lot for Mal to juggle. There is a great moment in the Vespa exchange where he's like, do you like it? And she says, do ogres like cheese puffs? Like they do, of course. I guess, I guess they do. Yes. Okay. That's, I wish that that was some kind of obscure Disney reference, but it's just some random thing somebody thought would be funny. And here we are talking about it, so I guess it was. It worked, yeah. (laughs) We catch up with the sports subplot, because it's a decom and we need one. We're no longer playing weird lacrosse. In this movie, it's aggressive fencing. It's pretty cool, actually. There's a little, you know, sequence of people bouncing off of raised platforms and stuff and swords fighting and stuff. Jay eventually starts sparring with this person who has their helmet on. We don't know who it is. They best Jay and reveal themselves to be Lonnie, Mulan's daughter from the first movie. Unsurprisingly, Mulan's daughter is a kick-ass fencer, and she wants to join the team. Jay seems pretty cool with this, but Chad Charming... Good old Chad Charming. (laughs) ...decides to be a Chad, and he shows up and is like, no, it's against the rules. No girls on the team. What, we're going to let yeah. girls fence? And now, then we're going to have to let them play tourney. He pulls out the rule book. He's like, the team will be made up of a captain and eight men. <laughs> and I guess, like, in Oridon, we haven't quite gotten to the nuance of, like, man being used as a very gender-neutral term. Yeah, I guess not. So Jay chickens out. He's like, I don't know, man. Coach is counting on me. I can't break the rules for you we never see this coach seems like the coach could have been consulted at this point or at any point no the coach is trusting jay to make the decision you don't get it yeah the the, the coach is trusting jay to do his job for him after practice we also get a moment between jane and carlos uh jane shows up and is talking to carlos who's kind of down in the area where they were practicing carlos talks to her a little bit but then chickens out of asking her to cotillion Like, he's trying to, but just doesn't pull the trigger on it. Yeah, and it doesn't help that every time he tries to talk to Jane, she's really, like, wrapped up in cotillion prep stuff, or she's on the phone with her mom, and she's just kind of flighty. Whatever, it works out because he's not really even in the right headspace to ask her out anyway, so they go their separate ways. And we see that Dude the Dog is back. Yes, Dude the Dog is still here. He's been watching over Carlos as he fails to ask Jane out. I'm not sure exactly how dude became Carlos's dog because dude was sort of like the campus stray, right? In the first movie, he was just kind of around. Yeah, now Carlos has just been like, yeah, this dog's my dog. Carlos goes back to his house and immediately starts Googling how to get out of the friend zone. Love it. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, across the board, this movie incorporates, I think, more, like, 2017 Gen Z slang stuff. They know who the audience is at this point, I think, you know? It makes you wonder if the actors were kind of throwing their own isms in there sometimes, like ad-libbing things. But Carlos is Googling how to get out of the friend zone when Mal storms in. She's clearly stressed out. She turns off the news coverage, which is talking about her. Her eyes glow green again as she's, you know, stressing out. She's now talking to him about whether or not he misses 
misses being evil, if he misses the aisle at all. And he's like, no, look at me. I'm sitting here with my 3D printer and my dog in a sweater. Yeah, I'm chilling out, okay? Everybody relax. Uh, He asks her if she brought it. So she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She starts to go to get something. But that's interrupted by Chad, who lets himself in. <laughs> And because he wants to use the 3D printer, the centrality of the 3D printer in this movie really threw me. Yeah, did we get the 3D printer in the first movie? I don't remember a 3D printer, but maybe I'm forgetting something. I don't think so. It's just a convention that was introduced in this movie, and we're like, okay, yeah, Carlos has this giant 3D printer. Chad goes on this whole diatribe about how he's basically been breaking into Carlos's room to use the 3D printer. It's worth noting that Chad Charming 3D printed himself a copy of the key yeah. to Carlos's room so he could keep coming in to use the 3D printer. He is a complete moron in this movie. <laughs> he's extremely not charming. No, he's like annoying. <laughs> Just a bumbling idiot. But once they get rid of him, they reveal the thing that Mal has brought for Carlos, which is a truth potion in the form of a gummy, which is kind of interesting. Carlos has asked Mal to make this potion for him so he can summon the courage to tell Jane how he feels and ask her to cotillion. Mal is like, are you sure you want to take this? Because I know if I took this right now, I would say stuff that would get me kicked out of Oridon. At that point, my ears perked up and I was like, oh, that's about to be the plot. She's going to go speak her truth, get kicked out, go back to the Isle of the Lost and live her evil dreams. And that is not at all what happens. No, that is not what happens. Instead, they <laughs> drop the truth gummy onto the floor where dude eats it and then starts talking. Yeah, and not just talking, talking with the voice of Bobby Moynihan from SNL. <laughs> Saying, scratch my butt. It's literally Bobby Moynihan. He's literally saying, scratch my butt, scratch my butt. You scratch <laughs> your own butt. Please scratch my butt. Mal's like, okay, gotta go. I guess that was her last truth gummy. <laughs> yeah, I've written in my notes, Mal nopes right out of there. Only had the one gummy. <laughs> Now we cut back to the Isle of the Lost, where we meet a whole new crew of people. They're a bunch of pirates. One in particular who has a long red coat. He's definitely got Captain Hook vibes, especially if you know, like, Once Upon a Time. Oh, yeah. He's got that vibe. Yeah, so it's him who we later learn is named Harry Hook. And um, another sort of big lug guy who is the son of Gaston, and his name is Gil. So they're the two big, you know, flunkies, pirate flunkies. And I guess the pirate gang all hangs out at this seafood restaurant. <laughs> right. Which is run by <laughs> Ursula from The Little Mermaid, which is great. We love a cannibal. <laughs> <laughs> we love a cannibal octopus mom. Octopus is out here <laughs> frying up clams and shit for lunch for the pirates. Yeah, but Harry Hook just walks into the restaurant, jumps behind the counter, turns the news on, right? And then this girl with blue dreadlocks and a pirate hat comes out and scoffs at the TV and starts throwing food at it and telling all the other pirates to throw food at it because this girl, Ursula's daughter, has a sort of long-running dislike for Mal. So she's very jealous and unhappy 
unhappy about how Mal has gone to Auradon and now is going to be a princess, etc., etc. Yeah, so this is Uma, Ursula's daughter. She's played by China Ann McLean, who was on Ant Farm, if you ever watched that on Disney Channel. And you get the sense that she's pretty much running things, and she has beef with Mal because Mal wouldn't let her in Mal's gang back in the day. And then also she's jealous that Mal was selected to go to Auradon. She also used to call her Shrimpy. Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this this intro turns into a song and dance number. As it must. Uma is saying, what's my name? What's my name? And everybody's saying, Uma, Uma. And this goes on for a long time. <laughs> Yeah, it's a really long number. Honestly, it was like kind of engaging though. They had some really, really talented dancers in this number. Yeah. Pirates like hanging from the ceiling. We get a little bit more characterization. Captain Hook's son Harry is a creepy pirate man. Gil is a bumbling lunk guy. Basically, it's just this high energy introduction to these characters. Uh, and it's broken up by Ursula, a tentacle. Yes! <laughs> The one-year anniversary. The one-year anniversary. We get a CGI tentacle. We get an actual tentacle. <laughs> but Ursula's tentacle emerges from the back and starts knocking shit over, and you hear Ursula's voice saying, like, everybody shut up. Get back to work. I struggle a bit with Ursula's voice. Yeah, I felt the same way. It sounds nothing like Ursula. It sounds like B. Arthur from the Golden Girls or something. Yeah. But that's okay. She's running a seafood restaurant now. Times is hard. Basically, it all ends with Uma saying she's going to rain down evil on Auradon. Dun, dun, dun. And then we move on. Back in Auradon, Ben and Mal are having their picnic. They're out in this pretty gazebo on the water. They've got all this stuff laid out. Apparently, it's all the dishes that Mrs. Potts used to make for Ben's mom and dad, so... Yeah, which is why the first thing that Mal offers him is a hot hors d'oeuvre. Yeah, like from the song. hot hors d'oeuvre, blah, 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 blah. And I'm pretty sure if you look at the table, there's like a whole platter of what, to me, appears to be, quote unquote, the gray stuff. You like to see those in these, I like it, Ben likes it, everybody's happy. However, after a sort of tender moment where Ben is all happy about it and saying thank you, he knows how busy she's been, etc, etc, he goes to grab a napkin from the picnic basket and pulls out Mal's spell book. Oh no. At which point he's like, wait a second, you've been doing spells this whole time. This whole thing pissed me off because what do you care? She used magic and made you this awesome picnic. Like she used magic and speed read the book that she needed to read so she could become a lady. You just said she's super busy, like she's saving time. What's your problem? But Ben flips out and Mal also gets upset. She basically poofs all the food away and turns it into a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and says it's all fake this is the real me and then storms off was the expectation that mal was gonna start dating ben and then she was never going to use magic ever again so she would just become like everybody else although this is like the central tension right because in the end mal feels like oh ben knew who i was all along i was wrong for thinking he wanted me to change yeah, except then he finds out that she made the fancy picnic with her mom's spell book, and he's like, this is an atrocity. 
Yeah, so and understand. the other weird thing is while she's leaving, he starts waving the PB&J sandwich around and says, Peanut butter and jelly's my favorite. I <laughs> guess what he was trying to say is, like, I would have been happy with just this sandwich. Like, you didn't have to use... I, I'd rather have this PB&J sandwich than your magic feast. But that's just a okay. bad take, too. Like, nobody yeah. wants that. You don't... That's not true. You don't yeah, want I the don't food know. just because it was made with magic. When Mrs. Potts was making it for your mom, she was a magic enchanted She teacup. was a teacup! <laughs> <laughs> Where do we draw the line here, Ben, your highness? Mal is, is unhappy. She goes home to the dorm. She packs up Mom Leficent the lizard, throws her in a box. Literally like a box you would get a bracelet in. So she takes off in her Vespa, goes to the edge of Aradon, overlooking, you know, the water and the aisle, in tears as she says a spell to make the Vespa fly? Yeah, now the Vespa can drive on water, and this feels like a massive plot hole to me, because isn't the whole idea that, like, you can't get to the aisle and you can't get out of the aisle unless you're, like, in the fancy limo from the magic kingdom like she can just enchant the vespa and break the barrier yeah there's a little moment where she like passes through the barrier but it doesn't seem to be a huge obstacle or anything she just flies across she gets over there she sees a poster for the i don't know the cotillion or something it's like her and ben but her face is crossed out because the people of the island don't like her anymore uh so she rips that poster down and goes to her secret hideout or apartment or something to skulk. Yeah, it seems like she's going to the loft where all the villains and their kids were in the first movie, but again, like, the villains aren't there. It's just an empty loft. Meanwhile, Ben is doing his king stuff. Evie shows up and explains that Mal has left. She left him a note. She left behind the ring he gave her in the first movie. And he's like, oh, this is all my fault. And I'm like, yes, it is. It feels extremely like a soap opera, this scene. Like, Evie comes in and stands in the doorway and is like, Ben, I need to tell you something. <laughs> right, yeah. But basically, Ben is like, oh, no, I messed everything up. I shouldn't have gone beast on her. He's like, I gotta go to the island to get her. But he's nervous about doing that, obviously, because he hasn't really been over there. And it's decided that Evie is going to go with him. Yeah, she's like, fine, if you want to go, that's fine. But you can't go without me because you don't know your way around. And the people there, you know, gonna hate you. And also, you're gonna have to wear a disguise. And also, I'm gonna bring along the boys for some muscle. Meanwhile, Mal shows up to a place in the aisle called Lady Tremaine's Curl Up and Die, which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, D-Y-E. It is yeah. a hair salon. Um, <laughs> and for those of you who might not remember, Lady Tremaine is the name of the wicked stepmother from Cinderella. Her name is Lady Tremaine. Yeah, so apparently she now runs a hair salon for some reason. I guess that hairdo in the movie was just so stellar that that was calling. <laughs> not only does she run a hair salon, but she does run it on the back of child labor. I would expect nothing less. Yeah, right? <laughs> Uh, Mal walks up and sees this little girl sweeping up. She's kind of jamming out to music. They're both excited to see each other because they obviously have history together. Her name is Dizzy, which didn't click for me initially, but it turns out that Dizzy is the daughter of Drizella, who was one of the ugly stepsisters in Cinderella. So she's Lady Tremaine's granddaughter, and she's being forced to sweep and mop the salon, which, by the way, the salon doesn't open until after midnight. <laughs> <laughs> right, so she sweeps up during the day while she's waiting for it to open but mal says you're really getting the cinderella treatment here which i thought was funny 
Dizzy's cute. She's a cute kid. And she like clearly really looks up to Mal and asks about Evie. Dizzy ends up putting Mal's hair back to normal because again to this point Mal has been blonde yeah she pretty much gives Dizzy free reign to do whatever she wants so she ends up with like straight across blunt bangs and a sort of lighter like pinkish purple color that she is very happy with and now she can go back to doing evil shit I guess but there's no time to enjoy the haircut because Harry Hook shows up and he basically shakes Dizzy down for money right clearly Uma has some sort of mafia thing going on here because he shows up to take the money that Dizzy has earned at the salon to give to Uma and Mal is like wow see your Uma's little bitch boy now Harry <laughs> and so they sort of have words with each other about how Uma's running shit now and she's never gonna let Mal back in the gang. There's also this horrible moment where Mal is trying to be intimidating and she takes her gum out of her mouth and puts it on Harry's hook and and then Harry bites the gum off the hook. Yeah, he just happily chews it as he walks out of the salon. I hate it. It's so nasty. It has a it's similar a energy to Maleficent licking her staff in the first yeah. movie. <laughs> but I mean, it, it does really characterize Harry. Harry is very creepy and weird. He's also Irish. Something Irish adjacent. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, he's like some strange Irish-Scottish accent going on from him. Captain Hook wasn't Irish. No, he's English. The actor is Scottish, so... There you go. So I guess that's what it was. Yeah, so that's sort of the end of, like, they have words about how Mal's gonna take back her territory on the aisle. And honestly, like, Mal seems like she's really living her best life here. Back in Oridon, the crew is getting ready to leave. Uh, ben does have his disguise on. He looks very leathery. <laughs> Because that e that equals bad in this movie, as if there's a leather jacket going on. It's true, they all do wear leather when they're in evil <laughs> mode, I hadn't noticed. They drive across in the limo, no, no real issue, they just go straight across. They cover up the car, and all the descendants are angsty about being back on the aisle, so they're like, look, we're gonna get in, we're gonna get out, you know, we're gonna get Mal and go. Yeah, apparently they don't want their parents to catch wind that they're there, because probably their parents would force them to stay, and they don't want to do that. Immediately, Evie gets mugged by children. <laughs> okay, <laughs> is a little bit of an extreme she gets pickpocketed by two children and she's initially upset about it but then they look kind of pathetic and so she's like you know what just take my wallet just take it <laughs> while evie's getting pickpocketed ben has sort of wandered off and so she chases him down and catches him like trying to politely shake hands with some pirate guy and she is trying to explain to him that he needs to blend in. He can't be nice like that. Yeah, Evie is like, Ben, come on, you're you're doing it all wrong. And basically, it turn that turns into a dance number. We we get a song called "Chillin' Like a Villain." They had to do it to him. Where Carlos and Jay and Evie kind of walk Ben through all the cool stuff that you got to do to be cool on the Isle of the Lost, like nodding your head and dragging your feet and leaning back. The key element of being a villain. Ben struggles to assume the uh, evil posture. He enters into the song for this bridge that starts with, I really want to be bad a lot. <laughs> the single worst lyric in the entire movie. <laughs> But it makes sense that it comes from him. He's, like, trying to rap, and it's not going well. <laughs> but by the end, he he's convinced that he's figured it out, and he's going to blend in better, whatever. 
And no sooner has he gained this confidence, they they run into Gil, Gaston's son, who's being sort of goofy. And he seems to recognize Ben, but he can't place him until he notices another one of those posters for the cotillion with Ben's face on it. And then he's like, hey, you're the king. Yeah. And also that triggers all of his memories because then he recognizes Jay, Carlos, and Evie as well. And he's like, oh, I got to tell Uma about this. So the kids run off to the loft that Mal went to previously and they send Ben up alone where he finds Mal vigorously spray painting the inside of this loft. Again, it's empty. We don't know where the adults are. Ben comes in and basically is like, he apologizes. He asks her to come back. But Mal is like, look, I don't I don't fit in in Oradon and I don't think I want to go back. Like, I, I want to stay here. To which he responds, he can change for her. Also, he loves her. And then he says the worst thing a person can say, which is, don't you love me? No pressure. She's like, no, I don't want you to change for me. Like, I don't want you to make yourself bad for me. I just, if I stick around, I know it's really only a matter of time before I mess up. I do something evil and the whole kingdom turns against both of us. But when he tells her that he loves her, it kind of looks like it might work. It might change her mind. But she manages to resist. She doesn't say that she loves him back. She tells him that she's going to stay and that he needs to go. He goes down and tells the others, Mal's not coming. And Evie's like, no, no, I, I got to go talk to her. Okay, I'm going to call up. I struggled in my notes to describe the method of communication here. It's like some weird Dr. Seuss telephone thing. Yeah, it's like a tube thing. There's got to be a name for it because I think it's a real thing. It works, I think, on the same principle as the cans on string. Right, exactly. But that's how Evie is managing to talk to Mal without ever actually going up to the loft. Mal's not interested, sends them away, and... During that time, Ben gets lost. Yeah, he he wanders off yet again. Really careful King Ben over on the Isle of the Lost. But Harry does appear, Harry Hook, to be creepy and tell the descendants that they've kidnapped Ben. And Mal has to go see Uma alone in order to basically get the terms of his release. Yeah, so that really throws a wrench in the plans. The kids now have to go up and break the news to Mal. She's a little bit understandably frustrated. Like, you shouldn't have brought that kid here in the first place. Now I have to do all of this dramatic shit with Uma to get him back and make sure he's safe. So next time, will you mind your own business? But she agrees to go to the seafood restaurant and confront Uma. So Mal shows up at the seafood restaurant. Uma is not pleased to see her, but I guess is expecting her. It turns into a full like godfather kind of thing where it's like, have a seat. The energy is hostile. Uma at one point says she enjoys watching Mal squirm like a worm on a hook, which is kind of a paraphrase of an Ursula line from The Little Mermaid. Basically, Uma decides she wants to arm wrestle? All of the pomp and circumstance is just Uma setting up an arm wrestling contest. Mal is like, cool, if I win, you give me Ben back. And Uma's like, well, you don't want to know what I want if I win. And then they start, Mal seems to be in control. Her eyes are turning green. She gets Uma, it's, you know, classic arm wrestling in a movie, right? Like, she gets Uma down to almost defeated, and then Uma says, if I win, I want Fairy Godmother's wand, which 
For some reason, that causes Mal to completely lose control of her arm, and Uma just slams it to the other side and declares herself the victor. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the arm wrestling challenge should be invalid because there weren't clear terms at the beginning. Like, No. But whatever, for some reason, Mal is like, okay, I guess now I have to get the fairy godmother's wand. This all seems legit, so they're gonna meet at noon tomorrow at Uma's pirate ship with the wand to do the trade-off. Now Mal has to go back and break the news to the other kids that she lost an arm wrestling contest and now they have to get the fairy godmother's <laughs> wand. How will she ever break the news that she lost the arm wrestling um. contest? <laughs> But yeah, but it's okay because look, we set up this convenient, awesome 3D printer. So they're just going to 3D print a fake wand. Yeah, they're going to make the fake wand and then they're going to create some sort of diversion tomorrow so that they can, I don't know, hand off the fake wand to Uma and then run away before she can realize that it's fake. It culminates in the boys heading back to campus to 3D print the wand and the girls going to Lady Tremaine's to stock up on supplies to create a diversion. Also, Evie makes a comment about Mal's hair, and Mal tells her that Dizzy did it, which is extremely exciting to Evie, because I guess Evie sees Dizzy as sort of like her, you know, uh, a designer with big dreams or whatever. They go over to Lady Tremaine's, and Dizzy and Evie have a nice little moment where they're reunited, and Dizzy wants to know all about Aradon, and is it true they have ice cream over there? It's really sweet, actually. Yeah. It's really, their relationship, I think, is cute. And you really do kind of start to feel bad for Dizzy being stuck in the slum. Yeah. she didn't do anything to anybody. But then we cut back to the school where Carlos and Jay, surprise, surprise, find Chad Charming illicitly using <laughs> their 3D printer to print an action yeah. figure of himself. It has no head because they stop him as he's printing it. So he's got a headless action figure of himself. Jay and Carlos basically tell him to get lost, but he hangs around and is annoying because that's what Chad does in this movie. He's asking what they want with the wand. He's asking what's going on and dude the dog from the corner just pipes up and says, oh, this is what's going on. Yeah, oh, King Ben was captured on the Isle of the Lost. Way to go, dude. Lonnie is in the hallway listening. <laughs> <laughs> Conveniently enough, Lonnie happens to be walking by. She overhears this business about the wand and about Ben being captured. Classic Disney Channel convention. Uh, and then we cut back to the salon where the girls are filling up latex gloves, basically, with what appears to be hair dye or some sort of bubbling potion used for hair purposes. Uh, we don't get much explanation about this. We're just expected to... Understand they'll be important later. <laughs> right. And we get more business with Evie and Dizzy. Evie clearly feels badly that Dizzy is stuck on the island, but she's encouraging her to keep up with her designing and things. Dizzy sends Evie home with a bag full of accessories, basically, that she's designed. Mal and Evie head off to the loft, and then we get a weird feelings meeting thing. They go back and forth with each other about, you know, everything that's going on, and Mal tells Evie basically, like, just because I want to come back to the aisle doesn't necessarily mean you should leave Aradon. Like, you are an Aradon girl deep down, and you've really found yourself over there, and I am and will always be the girl from the aisle, she says. And basically, this whole thing prompts an 
actual musical number that is reminiscent to me of like gotta go my own way from high school musical 2 yeah we we get a friends montage a classic decom friend montage yeah. of scenes from the first movie with the two of them singing about we're gonna meet in the space in between wow we'll meet each other in the middle yay except you won't because there is no middle like you can't meet <laughs> it's in the, the water you're it's stuck the water. on the aisle i don't know what to tell you this scene is weird to me it's <laughs> a little like intimate and unnecessary to me i guess it's just them saying their goodbyes because it's expected that mal is just never going to come back to oradon and they're going their separate yeah ways. this whole subplot of like evie and mal's friendship and the development of their friendship didn't really hit for me in this movie just didn't feel super necessary maybe it's because people are traveling so freely between oradon and the isle of the lost in this movie that we just kind of lose that sense of like the separation right it doesn't feel like such an obstacle anymore that they're going to be in two different places it kind of feels like they could just come back and visit her whenever they want to but anyway back in oradon jay and carlos have completed the wand they leave to to bring it and dude wants to go with them but carlos says no and also not just dude but lonnie lonnie shows up now and basically blackmails the guys into taking her with them to the isle of the lost for some reason she's like you're gonna take me with you or i'm going to tattletale to fairy godmother yeah because she just heard what was going on and she wants to be involved also they do run into doug at one point and he's confused because he doesn't know what's going on but they kind of just hand wave it away and say oh i don't know evie went camping uh doug is left puzzled at best now we cut to uma's pirate ship yeah, pretty nice that she has a whole-ass pirate ship in exile. Yeah, seems like she has a pretty solid setup over there on the aisle, but whatever, not mine to judge, I guess. She just doesn't like it because she has to work at the Crab Shack or whatever. <laughs> With her mom. Um, yeah, in true Peter Pan form, they have been tied up to the mast of the ship. Harry wants to kill him. Yeah, wants to hook him, and Uma's saying that he can't, he has to wait until noon, you know, he can do whatever he wants with him if Mal doesn't show up, blah blah blah. Ben kind of tries to reason with Uma, he says that he'll help her get to Oradon, like if that's what she wants, she should have just said yes <laughs> but instead but that's she too easy no because her pride is to whatever i i suppose now she wants to destroy the entire system and not be a part of the system by just accepting the invite to go over to fairy tale land she says thanks but no thanks i don't need you ben you better hope mal pulls through or else i'm gonna let harry hook you also there is a mention that she has ursula's necklace which might come back. Yeah, she makes like a thinly veiled threat involving the necklace where she's like, we'll find out what this baby can do. Yeah. And I don't, we don't know what that means. <laughs> we know nothing about that, but maybe it'll be clear later. Let's hang out. <laughs> yeah, please stay tuned. So now the boys arrive back in the limo on the Isle of the Lost with Lonnie in tow, and they also find out the dude has stowed away in the trunk. The kids take off to meet up with the girls and go rescue Ben. Carlos is very adamant the dude stays by the limo. They march up to the docks uh, in a line like Camp Rock 2, but with less stomping. They march <laughs> up to the ship and they confront Uma and Harry and Gil. This turns into a Lin-Manuel Miranda moment. <laughs> yeah, we get a whole like rap battle between Uma and Mal. The thing that was driving me crazy is the whole time this number is going on, Harry Hook is 
pushing Ben closer and closer to the edge of the plank. Because I guess now he's going to walk the plank and he's not going to get hooked and he's not going to be cursed by Ursula's necklace or whatever. But they they keep making reference to like, you only have 20 more minutes. Oh, you only have 20 more minutes. Oh, it's almost noon. Oh, it's almost noon. Oh, it's... And it's like, then shut up and stop (laughs) singing and just take the wand and go. You're literally wasting your own time. I wasn't really clear on, like, what this confrontation was even about, because it's like, we brought the wand, you have Ben, let's trade. What are we doing? It's all just, like, weird posturing, and then eventually it takes way too long for Mal to even bust out the wand. So she finally busts that out, so now Uma knows that they have it. Ben sees the wand, and he's like, no, no, you can't give her the wand, like, this isn't the way. And he tries again to get Uma to agree to just come to Oradon, like, let me fix this, whatever. He does get a bridge in the song where he sings, and it's very auto-tuned. It's Why a lot. Why am I feeling so rough? Yeah, it feels exactly energy. like that. It has exactly the same energy as that. And when the song is over, Mal agrees to hand over the wand to Uma, but she wants Ben to be released first. Uma's like, well, first you need to prove to me that this wand is even legit. Like, I need you to right. use it so I know it works, and then you can have your boyfriend back. But lucky for the kids, dude decided not to follow instructions, and he has followed them to the ship. Carlos points him out to Mal, and she pretends to cast a spell to make dude speak, and then he does talk with his Bobby Moynihan voice, and Uma sees that as evidence that the magic wand does in fact work. Yeah, this movie could really be retitled Descendants 2, Carlos's Convenient Things. Because... <laughs> <laughs> Between his talking dog and his 3D printer, they're really getting out of a lot of jams. They, they're they all happy with that. They go to release Ben. There is a funny moment where Gil, Gaston's son, says, Tell your mom that my dad says hi, and tell your dad that my dad wishes he had killed your dad. <laughs> Right. It's kind of funny. To my recollection, Gaston died at the end of that movie. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> to my recollection, he very famously falls into a pit with skulls in his eyes. Some wishful thinking here on the Isle of the Lost, I guess. Yeah, so they return Ben to the kids and they start to leave, but Uma wastes no time trying to cast a made-up spell with the magic wand. She points it up, I guess, to destroy the barrier, and nothing happens. Her immediate reaction to this thing not working once is to snap it in half. Didn't go the way she planned. She snaps the magic wand like Harry Potter does at the end of the film series. Now this devolves into a full-blown swashbuckling battle. Which I actually thought was pretty cool. Like, I thought the fight choreography in this was sort of cool. This set is interesting. They're on this, like, dock, so it's sort of multi-leveled, and you got people jumping across areas and dueling with each other. Mal and Uma are dueling with these ridiculous high-heeled shoes on, though. (laughs) Yeah, and we finally get the payoff of the hair dye gloves because they're slingshotting the hair dye gloves at the ship or at people in Uma's crew and it basically sends up a puff of colorful smoke that allows people to run away, whatever. Eventually, the descendants flee to the car. Yeah, they they all manage to get away. They all pile into the limo, and for some reason, Mal agrees to get in the limo as well. Yeah, because as they're running away, Uma is demanding that people say her name, If like the song from the beginning. She's real angry. So maybe Mal is just like, uh, I gotta go. It's This is a scary place for me right now. As they are fleeing, though, and getting into the car, Mal's spell book gets left behind. Yeah, we don't really know how or why, but it's left on the floor of the garage. It's just laying on the ground next to the limo. Fine. (laughs) (laughs) 
When they're in the car, Mal and Ben kind of have this feelings meeting where Ben is like, the people on the island are my people too. Uma really helped me realize like I've been a shitty king. Yeah, like he seems like he feels badly for Uma that she's been left behind when he was planning on bridging the gap a little bit. And his empathy for Uma seems to be rubbing Mal the wrong way a little bit. Meanwhile, up in the front seat, Jay invites Lonnie to come to fencing practice because she was fencing her butt off with the pirates, and he was impressed. They all get back to school. Jane immediately starts interrogating Ben about more cotillion decorations and, you know, the stained glass window and stuff, and kind of, you know, extends the olive branch to Mal and says, do you want to cancel? Like, we don't have to do this. If you're not comfortable, like, just let me know, and, like, we can cancel, or, you know, I won't be mad at you if you decide not to come. But Mal still doesn't seem like she's made up her mind. Evie goes to take Mal away to talk to her, and Carlos is like, wait a second, you're always going off, the two of you, and we need to have a feelings meeting all together. Which, honestly, I feel you, Carlos, because this whole movie I've been like, where's my Descendants crew? It's too much Evie and Mal crap. Yeah. So they all sit together to have girl talk, <laughs> whatever the hell that means. Mal basically breaks down. She just starts saying, like, I'm a, you know, I'm a mess. I don't know what to do. Evie suggests that, like, they have to make peace with the fact that they're from the aisle, right? Like, they can't try to be something they're not. So it's kind of left with Evie saying, you know what, like, I'm gonna go make some tweaks to your cotillion dress. If you decide to go, that's great. If you don't, no hard feelings. Jay also stops to talk to Mal for a second, and he really encourages her to go to the cotillion. He says, look, why don't you just go? If you have a terrible time, if you decide this really isn't for you, let me know, and then tomorrow I'll drive you back to the aisle myself. Dude and Carlos have a little feelings meeting, because Carlos still needs to ask Jane to cotillion, and Dude tells him, paraphrasing what Carlos had told Mal earlier about Ben, if Jane doesn't like him, then she's not the one for him. Yeah, then her loss. Now we're at practice, and Jay introduces the new captain of the team, Lonnie. Because the team is meant to be comprised of a captain and eight men, he found a loophole, basically, that she could be on the team, even with that language in the rulebook, if she's the team captain. So he has elected her team captain. Yay! Again, no idea if the actual coach was consulted at any point in this decision-making This process. subplot is just random, so they can do whatever the hell they want. <laughs> Meanwhile, Carlos tracks down Jane, and he finally gets up the guts to actually officially ask her to go to Cotillion. It's a little bit difficult at first because she's sort of on the phone. She's not fully understanding that he's asking her to go, like, as a date. But he finally gets the message across, and not only are they going to go to Cotillion, but now they might even be boyfriend-girlfriend. We also get a scene between Evie and Doug, because Doug is like, what the heck? You know, they told me you went camping without me. Like, I love camping. Are you seeing some Somebody else what's going on right and so she's forced to come clean about the whole ben adventure and she assures him that there's no one else for her the end <laughs> they they kiss and also evie does mention that there's somebody on the aisle that she really wants to give a chance to uh which we can assume is dizzy the last thing that happens before it's time for Cotillion is Carlos walks in on Chad, who is modeling a crown that he 3D printed for himself, because we gotta get more Chad time in this movie. 
Um, this is a big nothing of a scene. He gets a phone call from Audrey, who's not in the film, except in reference. Her car broke down, and he's got to go fix it, so he's going to go. Yeah, he's going to miss Cotillion, and it's important for no reason at all. They just wanted Chad, and also they wanted a two-hour movie this time because Descendants 1 did so good. So now it's time for Cotillion. And Cotillion takes place on a boat for some reason. This, this whole setup that they have here is really pretty. Everybody is wearing yellows and blues which is probably some sort of homage to Belle and the Beast. There's paparazzi too. Uh, we, we get a little bit of Evie shouting out a fabulous new designer that she knows. Because apparently Evie styled a bunch of the attendees of Cotillion with the hair accessories that she got from Dizzy. Ah, I missed that. I knew that she had made the dresses, but so she also did the accessories that Dizzy had given them. Yeah, and Dizzy's watching all of this on TV back on the island and she's getting all psyched about it. We see Jane and Carlos. They have a little moment where the fairy godmother's trying to pull Jane away to work at the Cotillion, but Jane's like, no, I'm here with a date. But the big moment is that they announce Mal who comes out, and like you said, she has on this sort of, like, yellow and blue dress that Evie touched up. She's introduced by Lumiere. Yes, which I love. I love that this guy is Lumiere. Also sort of the MC, I guess. Yeah. As always, as he's wont to do. Mal comes out and she goes down. She has a little moment with Beast and Belle where they're like, oh, you know, I know we had our doubts at the beginning, but really you're just what Ben needs and we're so happy to have you. It's pretty nice. They say some pretty nice stuff to her. Evie pulls Mal aside and Ben gets announced. He walks out and walks down the stairs and then walks up to Mal and says, I wish I had had time to explain, turns around and who should be behind him but Uma, for some reason, in a dress. Mal has no idea what's going on, nor does anybody else. Everybody at Cotillion is confused and uncomfortable, probably because they don't know who this is. And it's also like weeks and weeks of press around Mal becoming a lady of the court. And now it's like, just kidding, that's going to be Uma, who you guys have never heard of. Ben has this whole story, you know, about how he just connected with Uma and like he'd been thinking about her since they left and how they had so much in common and it was just love at first sight and Uma's being very lovey-dovey too. He says the most savage thing ever. He says to Mal, yeah, you know, you were right. We just really weren't meant to be. That's why you never told me you love me. You could tell she instantly regretted not saying it back to him too. Well, he's sort of weaponizing it here, so yeah. Yeah. Mal is like, what did you do? Like, you drove back across to pick her up? And Uma's like, oh no, he didn't even have to. I jumped in while the barrier was still open when you guys were heading back, and I just swam to Oridon. We've just completely given up on how this barrier works in yeah, this movie. Yeah, why doesn't that happen every time people are crossing the barrier? But whatever, yeah, she's got this story about how she snuck over. That's enough for everybody, I guess. They start to dance together. Uma and Ben start to dance together to a waltz rendition of Kiss the Girl. Everybody's looking on in horror and shock and confusion. <laughs> King Beast pulls Mal aside and is like, uh, we have no idea what's going on. 
Mal and her friends are trying to leave. They're attempting to Irish exit while this first dance thing is still going on. Jane stops them and is like, no, no, like maybe this will fix things. So she asks Lumiere to go ahead and unveil Ben's surprise. And it is just as we have seen, you know, leading up to this, what the design is. It's Mal in her dress with green glowing eyes and Ben on his knee at her side. It's Mal in like full malform too, you know, with purple hair and a purple dress, just like fully who she is. But when Ben sees it, he looks transfixed all of a sudden. He He's like clearly taken with it. Uma starts insisting that they cover the stained glass back up because Ben's looking at it so intently. And then Beast steps in to try to talk to Ben and Ben snaps at him. Uma's like, oh, honey, Ben, why don't you tell everybody about the surprise you're giving me? And he announces that as his gift to Uma, he's going to destroy the barrier and commands Fairy Godmother to bust out the wand, which yeah. she has the wand at the cotillion, which is ridiculous because in the whole plot point of the first movie is that the wand stays in the museum and it only gets brought out for coronations. I did not even think about that, but you're exactly right. It was a yeah, whole she's not thing. Ben is commanding her to do this. He's saying, I'm the king, blah, blah, blah. At this point, Mal realizes, oh, he's under a spell. So she walks up to him and basically starts just trying to get his attention, starts trying to pull him back to reality, talking to him. She she admits her feelings for him. She says she didn't think that she was good enough, but she realizes that, you know, he knew who she was all along and, you know, she loves him and it's great. Uma is trying to get his attention as well, but he's just right on Mal. They kiss. It breaks the spell because it's true love's kiss. As always. It's funny, you know. Don't this... you you take that disrespectful <laughs> toad out of your mouth when you talk about true love's kiss. <laughs> this whole scene really mirrors the Little Mermaid, you know, when Eric is marrying Vanessa on that ship. Uma has a lot of that energy here, like she just busts out after the wand. She's like, I'm just gonna grab the wand. Uh, she can't get it. She goes over to the edge of the ship. Mal is trying to talk her down at this point. Mal's like, hey, look, you know, it's okay. I know who you are. Like, you're a leader. You're a good person. Just chill out. It'll be okay. But she's like, nope, and jumps off the side of the ship. Yeah, her seashell necklace starts to glow. She jumps overboard. We don't know what's going to happen, except we do know what's going to happen because we've seen The Little Mermaid. Uma turns into giant sea witch Uma, like giant sea witch Ursula. Yeah, she's got octopus legs. She's big. Octopus uh, she's legs. <laughs> Not on this show, sir. I forgot tentacles. She's got her tentacles, her bluish tentacles. She starts to attack the ship with her tentacles, and Mal is like, okay, time to level up. Her eyes turn green, she's engulfed in purple smoke, and she rises as a dragon. She's finally achieved her final form. She's a friggin' dragon! And it does look as bad as the dragon in the first one, although it is dark in this scene, so it looks a little bit better. That helps, yeah. We get this epic showdown between the dragon and the Ursula-esque sea witch. It's like Godzilla versus Kong. I liked this sequence a lot, but the other Ben, King Ben, did not. He jumps into the water in between them and starts being like, no, stop fighting. We need peace. He, before he jumps overboard though, he fully just gutturally screams. 
<laughs> and I was like, oh my god, is he going to turn into something? Is he going to turn he into, a into a beast? That would have been freaking epic! Can you imagine the beast riding on a dragon fighting the octopus? That would have been awesome! But no, been he awesome. just like, yells out of frustration and dives in and is like, please stop, Like I don't want anybody to get hurt. That appears to work, except she's not like, okay, yeah, let's work together. She just hands him back the ring that was Mal's ring that I guess somehow she ended up with, and then she swims away. Mal transforms back into a human from her dragon form and is magically now dressed in the same dress that's pictured on the stained glass window. Because reasons. True love's kiss or something. She and Ben reconvene with the others. Ben basically says like, wow, I owe you guys so much, and Evie kind of jokingly says, yeah, well, if you want to do me a favor, there's a girl on the aisle who I really want to bring to the island. And Ben is like, yeah, yeah, totally, whatever you want. And then she's like, actually, there's a lot of kids on the island I want to bring over. Let me give you a list. And Ben's like, cool. I mean, shouldn't the initiative be to bring all the kids over? Like, it still You'd feels think. a little bit politically incorrect for them to have a list of the, the lucky children. Some random person walks up to Mal and is like, hey, we found your spell book below decks. Yeah, they're like, Uma had it, I guess. <laughs> I, <laughs> they literally say Uma had it, I guess, or whatever. I don't know. We got to wrap this up. <laughs> now Mal has the spell book back, and she immediately decides to relinquish it into the control of Fairy Godmother. She says this belongs in a museum. And then there's no time for anything else other than a good old-fashioned finale splash dance. Splash dance it is. The, the deck of the boat is covered in water from, you know, the sea witch splashing it a lot. We get some, like, Newsies kind of dancing in the rain. It's like Stomp. And it's just a song about being yourself, which is, you know, still a little questionable when Mal just gave up her magic powers forever because of a boy. <laughs> Somebody told them to and whatever, I guess. <laughs> the dancing is cool. Another Kenny Ortega special. Yeah. It, it devolves into, like, the DJ dance mix version once right. they get tired of singing. And that's the credits. We do get a couple of little stinger scenes in this one. First, we see Dizzy getting an invitation to attend Oridon Prep School. Yeah, she's obviously thrilled. And then the final scene, much like the end of the first Descendants, except this time with Uma, we see Octopus Uma out in the water. She turns to the camera and says, you didn't think this was the end of the story, did ya? The end. That's the movie. I will say off the bat, I liked this one significantly less than the first one. Yeah. It's a bummer, right? Like, coming off of Cheetah Girls 2, which I would say is a very successful DCOM sequel, this one is, like, fine. I like, like you said, I like this world, but, like, all, everything to do with the separation between the Isle of the Lost and Auradon right. is, like, inconsistent and weird, right? And that's the whole central point. And, like, the absence of the grown-up villains i think also adds to that i mean even just the throwaway line that's like okay they're in jail now all of them except mal feel nothing about the isle of the lost anymore they've just completely forgotten about it yeah i mean it was such a con 
conflict for so many of for all of them in the first movie now that seems to have gone away i mean good for the kids severing ties with their emotionally unavailable villain parents good for them like i like evie in this movie and i like jay and carlos fine i just guess i wish they had more to do you know yeah they both were not super present jay especially i feel like we didn't see almost at all i have to air my giant beef with the writing here why did uma have to use the spell book to spell ben to make him fall in love with her when she has the necklace that ursula used to do that very thing in the first movie or in the little mermaid that's a good question that's one of those moments of like did they have a disney fan in the room yeah i also like the music in this one i don't think i liked it as much there was more of it, which I think is a good thing. It felt like more of a musical. I don't think that the music like sticks in your head so much. Like I could not sing a single one of these songs, I don't think, if you asked Yeah, me I to. remember the only one I remember is there's so many ways to be wicked. Yeah. But that's as much as I remember of that. Though I guess the only song I really remember from the first one is Rotten to the Core. Evil Oh yeah, yes, the vaudeville number. How could I forget? <laughs> um, what an insane film. Yeah, fair enough. Like, this was at least more stylistically coherent, all of the songs. Right. Definitely modernized a bit. Like, they were catering more to their audience, I think. I just fundamentally, like, I struggle with the relationship aspect of the movie just because even though the message feels like we have to accept people as they are it also feels like that's not the moral of the story with respect to mal's relationship with ben because she still did have to give up a massive part of herself also quick question what happened to lizard mom because she put her in that box and brought her back to the loft on the isle of the lost or whatever but did she have lizard mom in her pocket during the swashbuckling debacle like i guess they just couldn't get Kristen chenoweth again i don't know they seem to be spending a lot more money on this movie i don't know yeah maybe they just made the decision they weren't going to have any of the grown-ups i really don't doesn't make a lot of sense to me i just want to know like is lizard mom in her pocket somewhere <laughs> yeah because good? people were instructed not to feed her yeah she was starving her out and then she put her in a box and buried her she's dead maybe she's maleficent dead. is dead in descendants 2 canon if i, we I think don't see there's... her in the third movie then we'll know for sure that she <laughs> yeah was right buried alive so did you give this movie ratings i didn't but i think off the cuff i could probably say like decom wise i give it like a six and real movie i'd probably give it like a four and a half yeah, my, my one-year resolution for the podcast is to stop pretending that these ratings are objective, because I can't remember what I give anything. Right. There's no calibration. This is just how I feel about it. I think as a DCOM, similarly, it's probably like a six, and as a regular movie, it's probably like a five. But yeah, all in all, it was a fun watch. I want to watch the third one, so I guess it did its job, right? right? I know, I feel the same way. Yeah, and I still maintain that if I was between the ages of 8 and 11 watching these movies, every single thing I owned would have been a piece of Descendants merch. Yeah, the 10-year-old that I've watched both of these movies with adores, thinks they're awesome yeah i think totally like for the target audience it's a really smart idea for a series of movies and i am interested to see how they expand in the third one the only big grudge that i have with this series is that i don't think they take the disney lore seriously enough yeah i think there's definitely room for improvement on that front i mean come on the ursula necklace thing is just a glaring mistake but yeah that's pretty much all i have to say about descendants 2 it's 
full circle that here we are a year later, just like in our first episode, we're discussing a movie where the main character's name is Ben. Yeah. <laughs> what are the odds? And this movie was chock full of tentacles, so it doesn't get much better than that. We got Ben's, we got tentacles, we even have Disney lore, so <laughs> we even have gritty rewrites, so... It doesn't get much more movie surfing than that. It doesn't get much more movie surfing a Disney Channel unoriginal podcast than that. <laughs> and thank you for listening. Whether you're listening for the first time today or you've been listening for a whole year, we really do appreciate you. We love making this show and thank you for listening. We hope you love it too. If you haven't, make sure that you're following us and you're subscribed or whatever the terminology is on whatever podcatcher you are getting the show. And share the show with a friend. We've got a year's worth of... Of content and movies that we've been watching so I'm sure you know somebody who knows one of those movies and would love to listen too so share the love spread the love you can follow us on the social media we are we have a group on Facebook and we also are on Instagram and you can also find us at our website www.moviesurfingpod.com there's a suggestion box where you can let us know what you'd like to hear us talk about next or you could do us a big favor and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or or any of the other podcatchers that allow for reviews. We check those, and we do take recommendations from those as well. In fact, I would say higher priority when we get them in the Apple reviews because we appreciate the love. So This episode was also inspired by an Apple review from the Case Files. Yeah, this was inspired by an Apple review by the Case Files. Uh, we will still probably do one of those Lawrence Brothers movies at some point down the line, but we decided to opt for Descendants 2 this time around. I was just itching to watch the second one. I can't help it. But anyway, that I think that's going to be everything for this this time around, unless you have anything else, Delaney. No, I don't think so. Everybody, thanks for listening. And Ben, thanks for making the podcast with me for the last year. Delaney, fun. thank you for making the podcast with me for the last year. It's been a ton of fun. And as we have been separated more than ever in our relationship with each other, it's been wonderful. So I look forward to being back in New York soon. And watching more DCOMs. Maybe we can actually watch these movies together. Can you fucking imagine? That would be weird. So on that note, thank you guys for a year of movie surfing. Uh, we appreciate you. And we hope that you're well. And we'll have something again for you in two weeks. So we'll talk to you again real soon. Play the theme music. Play the theme music, Editor Ben. <laughs> we've got King Ben and we've got Ben in the show. And then we've got Ben in the future editing the show who I'm talking to right now. How did your weekend go, Ben? How are you doing? It's okay. No one's listening to you. No one's listening. To you.